Good morning, benders and non-benders alike, and welcome to Republic City Dispatch, a radio program that covered Nick.com's Legend of Korra series. This week, Korra and Avatar alums Joaquin Dos Santos and Laura Montgomery have teamed up to bring 11 episodes of Voltron Legendary Defender to Netflix. It's time to beat some gums and put on the Ritz, robot lion style, with your host, Matt Patches. Hello and welcome to another episode of Republic City Dispatch. That's correct. We're back, kind of. I'm Matt Patches, and, you know, we have been lying dormant for well over a year, uh, for obvious reasons. The Legend of Korra, the show that we analyzed, theorized about, uh, respected, cherished, uh, overanalyzed maybe (laughs) would be more appropriate, uh, went to great lengths for, ended an emotional finale. Uh, You know, we did an interview after the fact, you should definitely listen to that, with composer uh, Jeremy Zuckerman and sound designer Ben Wynn, old, old favorites of ours who have been on the show before. But then, but after the finale, we, you know, that was it. That was we. There wasn't much, too much more to talk about. There have been comics for the Avatar verse that have come out uh, that we have picked up, but you know, didn't find an end point. It wasn't as as emotional for us. We weren't feeling that kind of investment the same way we did for the series, and certainly after that finale, the perfect finale. You know, we didn't know necessarily where to go. Also, we were very, very busy. Uh, you know, uh, Dave and I uh, podcast every week on Fighting in the War Room. Definitely a show you should uh, listen to. We talk about everything pop culture on that series. And and then Dave uh, podcasts with Joanna Robinson of this podcast on Storm of Spoilers, a Game of Thrones-themed podcast, which may be expanding into other uh, universes soon enough. They also have a, a comic book podcast called The Thought Bubble, which you can listen to on the Fighting in the War Room feed. Uh, and Joanna has another podcast. She's amazing. Uh, she has The Station Agents, a television podcast. And plus, Devendra Hardwar, uh, our, our Keystone, uh, still podcasts on the Slash Filmcast every week. So we are we're very very busy um but but we always talk about trying to do something with republic city dispatch make time for it one because we love talking about legend of korra but two the craft of animation uh deserves the time we love it well and there's you know it's difficult to find other shows that live up to legend of korra uh even these kind of blockbuster sized shows that dominate headlines every week uh, maybe aren't as deep aren't as spiritual aren't as well crafted as korra it was really something special um so we have struggled to figure out exactly how to bring it back we all talk about it and maybe if you tweeted us enough uh we will we will one day get motivated and bring it back but but uh, we do have a new episode of Republic City Dispatch. Why? Because I got an email the other day that I, I couldn't say no to. It was a not, maybe not the chance of a lifetime, but a pretty good opportunity that I really wanted to jump on. Uh, and it was for a show called Voltron, Legendary Defender, coming to Netflix uh, on June 10th. And why why is it applicable to Legend of Korra? Um, one, because I've seen the pilot and it's a wonderful piece of animation, really fun, um, maybe a little more high flying than, uh, Legend of Korra, uh, just, you know, big robots and sci-fi nerdiness and really funny characters and it just has a lot going on for it and I can, I'm anticipating the rest of the series, but also because who is involved with Voltron Legendary Defender? Well, Joaquin Dos Santos brilliant director who directed a lot of Avatar The Last Airbender, directed the first season of Korra and became a producer over the years for the show, Um, you know, known for his stunt choreography, having an action eye. He is behind the show. And, and 
Lauren Montgomery, uh, another expert director. She directed Wonder Woman for the DC Animated Universe, and she had a hand as a supervising producer on Korra. So, she, I mean, these people are two incredible, incredible animation veterans coming together off of Korra to work on this show, uh, along with Colin Heck, who is the the lead writer of Voltron. He was on Korra, too. You would recognize his name in season three and four, uh, directing a handful of episodes and kind of leading the room as well with Brian and Mike. Uh, and we are so lucky that Studio Mir, uh, which if you listen to the podcast, we lauded them for their animation over the years on Korra. Studio Mir is on animation duties in Voltron Legendary Defender. So, of course, it looks gorgeous. Um, and when it's in the hands of Lauren and Joaquin, uh, they're doing some crazy stuff with mecha anime, uh, with fight scenes, both big and small, and with lots of sci-fi craziness. Uh, I really dug the pilot to Legendary Defender, which made the chance to talk to these two even more exciting. Uh, so we don't know what we're doing with Republic City Dispatch. Uh, we don't know if we'll talk more about Voltron or not, but I was so excited to ch- talk to these guys that I had to post it on the podcast feed, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Joaquin Dos Santos and Lauren Montgomery. Apologies for the slight fuzziness on their end. They were talking to me on a speakerphone, but uh, they come in clearly enough that I think you're still going to really enjoy this. So, right into the questions. Sorry. We shouldn't be doing this. You know, for someone in a space exploration program, you don't have much of a sense of adventure. I've been scanning the system and picking up alien radio chatter. They keep repeating one word. Voltron. It is time to reclaim what is rightfully ours. Yes, soon we will rule the universe. Guys, you should come see this. What is that? Whoa. Good kitty. Where are we? You five were brought here for a reason. Together, you will form Voltron. The greatest weapon ever known. Protector of the innocent. And our only hope to save the universe. Jeez, no pressure. Defenders of the universe, huh? got a nice ring to it uh you guys have both worked on such different types of uh animated projects lots of different types of characters lots of moods pacing how do you see voltron as as an as an extension of your past work and maybe also as uncharted territory uh i mean it's a really interesting question um i think uh the good thing about about voltron and, and a show like this is that it allows for a range of storytelling methods and it, it allows for a, a, a range of comedy to hyper, you know, dramatic. Um, so I think it, it sort of takes all the stuff that we've done before and really allows us to put it all in, in, in one, one show. Uh, so yeah, I mean, for us, it's, it's just having the latitude to really go in all directions. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, obviously we worked on things like Avatar and Korra, which were some of the, I think the earlier, um, kind of heading towards that anime sort of influence. 
and obviously we had we had that to kind of fall back on. We, we had many years of working on those shows and really kind of honing honing that type of storytelling. And it's just kind of part of our DNA. Uh, we we obviously love anime. It's something we kind of watch from even a very young age. So it's just something that's part of our storytelling. But you know, our past has kind of allowed us to kind of hone that and to bring it to this show, which is obviously a remake of a show that was originally created in Japan. Right. And so we can effectively kind of pay it homage uh, through kind of using those storytelling aspects. And then just the fact that we're making this thing for Netflix, which is such a, so inviting and accepting of the very serialized uh, storytelling format. Uh, and it's just, it's nice to kind of be able to do that because we're so used to working for a network where serialization is kind of your enemy. They don't want any shows that you can't kind of just watch any of the episodes at, at any time. Right. Order and everyone can watch them and know exactly what's happening. Uh, so to be able to work uh, on a show that embraces serialization, it's, it's awesome. And I think we're all kind of hoping that this is where animation is headed in the future and there's more of these opportunities with the uh, with the online format yeah. uh, and not kind of just being restricted to you know your television time slot and what what commercials want to be played during during the show exactly. right well was that a problem maybe maybe problems the wrong way of putting it but was that always a hurdle for Airbender and Korra, which were serialized and and dealt with you know it, uh, by the end of Korra, Nick was almost uh, forced is not the right word probably, but they, they went almost with a Netflix model. They just kind of put it all out there for people to enjoy online. And, uh, it was engaged with in a different way. I wonder if, if, uh, if Cora had a trouble with that. I mean, I think Cora was really like an experiment in that. Um, and, and on Avatar before that, you know, it did have a big overarching storyline, um, but you almost had to sneak the serialized aspects into the show. <laughs> Nothing could be like overly continuous. Each episode still had to play individually. Um, That's true. They always had like a mission of the day exactly. en route to uh, the Fire Lord. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I think Cora was really probably the first experiment. And even that show, to some extent, we, we kind of had to reset every episode and, and do a lighter version of Airbender. I, I, I truly believe that if had Nickelodeon just chosen to put Cora online from the beginning, it would have it would have resonated in a much much bigger way. That's interesting. Um, well, so when did you guys first start thinking of Voltron, or when did Netflix come to you? Were you working on other shows or other other uh, animated films? What when did Voltron enter your lives? We were on Cora. Yeah, we were on Cora at the time. Yeah, it was. Uh, we were kind of. I guess ending Koi, it was it was winding down. Uh, we were kind of finishing up it's the, the fourth book. Yeah. We're doing four books. Yeah. And uh, we you know we began to hear rumblings of like DreamWorks had made this deal with Netflix to make all these shows and that they had bought the classic media library. And you know anyone who who knows anything about Voltron kind of knows that it's in that library. And so immediately we're like, oh, DreamWorks has Voltron. What do you think is going to happen? Um. You know, so we got excited because, like, it's it's a show that we remember and love from our childhood, and it's it's a show that strangely, uh, you know, you remember 
the characters somewhat, and you remember like the big robot in the lines, but you don't usually remember a ton of the story. I was uh, yeah, I was thinking about the same thing. I'm like, I was trying to think if there are nods to old stories or old episodes in even the pilot of of your show, but I can't for the life of me remember what actually happens specifically in any given episode. Uh, that, that really it's not a knock. What excited us about the project right. is that there was a ton of room for. Yeah, we weren't we weren't going to be super beholden to to something that had you know created such a intricate universe. It had this universe you knew it was vast in your head because that's how you remembered it as a kid. But if you had to like pinpoint any other planet they ever went to outside of like Zarkon's planet, I hard for hard for me to remember. Good luck. So you know, this allowed <laughs> us to kind of have a lot of freedom uh, as far as like creating this story. There was just a lot that we could do with it, uh, just because the show itself, it was ultimately a product of what it was, which was two different shows cut together from Japanese, two Japanese shows, and there was a limited by the footage that they had, yeah. and we don't have that limitation, so we can really kind of flesh out the story and introduce new elements that hopefully solve for some of the problems right. they ran into with the old series, like not really having you know, full control over what their footage was. Right. Well, I'll tell you, there's someone out there who's keeping a, a log of every planet that the old Voltron show went to on oh, some well, elaborate <laughs> GeoCities page, and they'll uh, hold you accountable. They, yeah. they will hate us for it. Yeah, we, we know there's a core group of fans that are, that are you know, expecting like a, a carbon copy of the original and when it won't happen, but, but we truly believe we're creating something that, you know, we were fans of the original. We grew up with yeah. it. We're not beholden to it, but we're very reverential of it, and we're very uh, nostalgic for it. So it's coming from a very pure place of people that love the source material. It it reminds me a little of the Battlestar reboot, because Battlestar Galactica 79 was a kitschy, you know, kind of throwaway. And here comes the, the reboot in 2004, and it's... You know, serious, and there's like some heady ideas running through it, and the action is amazing. Uh, did you think? I don't know if you thought about Battlestar specifically, but were there other kind of update shows when you started to think about how how what, what do you need to keep and what do you need to straight up scrap? Uh, I mean, there are those aspects. Uh, I think Battlestar is actually a really good point because that was another show that I have very nostalgic feelings for, but I couldn't. I was so young at the time that I couldn't really tell you exactly what it was about. I knew their ships were awesome. I knew the Cylons were awesome. I went to Universal Studios and saw, you know, went on the tour and saw all that awesomeness. Um, so I think allowing for that latitude, there there isn't any one specific thing that we felt needed to stay or go other than, you know, this, this sort of catchphrase that we've coined over, over the, the, the course of doing some of these interviews, and that's that everything has to pass the squint test, you know? Everything has to remind the original fan of, of the show they remember uh, and, and tread new territory for the stuff that, that wasn't necessarily there. Yeah, ultimately, Joachim and I, you know, being that we are fans of the original, we just kind of had to trust our gut on, like, what what did we feel was the stuff that, that was important to us as a kid? What was the stuff that really resonated with us? That's the stuff that we kept because we knew most likely that was the stuff that the other fans like us were going to remember as well. Um, and then the things that we didn't remember were the things that were we, we were able to take liberties and hopefully improve upon and expand upon and just make the universe feel like a much more real, motivated sort of like. Yeah. And, you know, we did go back to the original Go Lion show that Voltron was edited together from. 
Um, and there were certain elements from there that we were able to pluck and, and, and utilize. That's interesting. Like what? Uh, I mean, I think just some of the, the, the big drama and some of the, you know, the more motivated aspects of the characters that were, I don't want to say adult themed. They weren't adult themed, but they were a little bit more mature in their, their tone, especially for, for, for the eighties. Um, so, you know, storytelling has become more sophisticated and, and audience has become more sophisticated and, and kids have become more sophisticated. So those, those are more appropriate now than they were then. Well, yeah. yeah was, so oh. There's a, a much larger sense of stakes and drama in the original The Lion. Uh, and obviously Voltron was a, a cartoon in the eighties where I think a lot of things were kind of censored and, and kind of dumbed down for kids, just made very palatable. Uh, and so we just wanted to kind of infuse a lot of that drama that the original Go Lines had, bring that back to Voltron. Well, so the thing I loved about Korra and what I always implore, why I implore people to watch it is that the show is, and this is kind of reductive, I suppose, but it's about something, right? Like there's a lot of theme woven into this, this action series. And I wondered if when you were starting to consider Voltron, it sounds like, you know, you're plucking mature ideas from, from some of the original stories, but, you know, and audience expectation, we want, we want that out of a show. So when you're building mythology, when you're considering a serialized television show, what, 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 what was the backbone of this Voltron? Is it, it needed to be about something. So how did you find, well, figure out what it should be about? Uh, I mean, there's, there's, there's a bunch of sort of moving parts to that question. And I think if, if you're looking at Korra as a piece and you're looking at Voltron as a piece, they're two very different things. And, and they came from two very different places. When Mike and Brian first pitched me on Korra, they said, hey, Nickelodeon's going to let us do a follow-up to Avatar. There's no marketing involved. They just want to make a cartoon. There's, we get to do a female lead, which is very, very rare yeah, uh, huge. For, for an action adventure show. Um, and we, we basically, all the cuffs are off. It's just story for story's sake. So there's nothing really tied to this thing. And that was hugely exciting. Um, it was very liberating and, and freeing in a, in, in, in a did, different way. How did that happen? Is it like Breaking Bad? Is it the golden age of television? Everyone just wanted something that would, would Honestly, send people... I, I, don't, I, don't, I know that there was enough fan reaction to there being a... a, a a vacuum from Avatar, hmm. uh, and and they just wanted more stuff. And Mike and Brian made the pitch, and I think people just said yes really, really fast, and got the ball rolling. And there Amazing. we were. Um, and it was it was great. I think Voltron starts in a very different place. It's obviously got a lot tied to it from a marketing perspective. Um, and you know, we want to sell a, a million toys, but we're also huge fans of story, and and we come from shows that have a bunch of story and, and themes tied to them. So our our goal was a little tougher in the sense that how can we weave these things into what potentially could just become a very toy-driven show. Um, so for us, building up the idea of teamwork and starting the characters in very different places, um, you know, and having them have to learn and evolve over the course of the series to work together, that was something that uh, I think we wanted to infuse from the very beginning. And that's something that wasn't necessarily there in the original series. They were all, you know, already pretty heroic and ready to go from... from yeah, they were, they were very strongly kind of cohesive team in, in the original series, and, and we just needed to kind of start our guys in a different place where they actually need to learn how to work together. Right. They're not the greatest team. They've got different personalities, uh, different strengths, and, and it's just, you know, it's about 
it's really, I think, one of the biggest things is just about guys, about teamwork. It's about you You don't have to be good at everything, you, you, but you got to be the best at what you do and bring that to the team and, and work well with others. Yeah. Today. And no, and no one team member is really any more important than the other. They have to work together, and, and they each bring value to the team. That, that was a, you know, a pretty big theme for us to, to get across. Oh, we've seen a few updates of kind of classic animated shows, whether it be uh, through TV animation or live-action movies, um, and they've kind of redesigned the characters to be more modern and sleek. I'm trying not to throw shade and any uh, other robotic updates. But um, the, the Voltron bots are boxy. They're a th- complete throwback. That was cool. How did, why did you decide to stick with that instead of updating? Is that the, is that the wink or the, uh, is that the I test? The, the first answer is that we're just, we're fans of the original and we're fans of, you know, we wanted to pay homage to it. But, you know, beyond that, that aesthetic is, is part of our artistic DNA. Yeah, it's, it's just our, our preference as far as design style is concerned. We come from animation, and in animation, a lot of times, just a, it's a simple, strong silhouette is what comes across. And as soon as you, know, you get into something like uh, Michael Bay Transformers, where you you know, from a, the silhouette standpoint, you might be able to see off in this time, but there's just a lot of kind of little pieces in him that just like kind of muddy it up and he just kind of ends up looking like a bunch of metal stars together and that's just not in any way what we wanted to do we really wanted to keep a lot of the the fun and the simplicity of the original show because that's just that's just what we enjoy and that's just what we respond to um you know taking something and really kind of modernizing it or aging it up uh it's just never really been uh our, our preference. Yeah. But what, what, and, and believe me, I mean, all those ideas do get pitched and sure. do get suggested, and it's, it's up to us as, as creative leads and showrunners to to make sure that, you know, and you make compromises on things. It happens all the time. Uh, so there are certain things you have to compromise on and, and certain things you really want to hold on to and make sure it gets carried through. So it's, we're just such fans of the original. We wanted to make sure that, that it was instantly recognizable as, as the Voltron you remember growing up with. Well, what's so interesting is that the boxiness, that kind of retro feel, influences, as you said, it's about animation, right? It influences Voltron's movement. And both of you have directed just outstanding uh, action choreography in your time. Um, talk to me about Voltron's movement and how that radically changes directing action or makes it more exciting. What are the challenges? I think the sense of scale is the biggest challenge. Um, you know, oftentimes you, you run into, and we've run into it on this show even, where you want Voltron to do all these amazing acrobatic things, but for him to do that, a lot of times it takes that sense of scale away. Hmm. So getting across that he's a big, massive, giant robot, I mean, that, that even eclipses anything that Transformers are. Um, you know, that, that, that was something that I think the style of, of Voltron himself and 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 the show lends itself to. We've got huge intergalactic battles that take place. We've also got one-on-one, you know, very human fights. And the disparity between those two, I, I think, is is something we wanted to get across on 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 the show. Did, did you pick up any uh, tips or learn anything from? You had a giant robot at the end of Korra. Uh, it was a lumbering, towering machine. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always helpful to kind of have some practice beforehand. 
and uh, and that you know that robot was kind of cool because it was very much like a, a rudimentary like first foray into like this large lumbering machine. So it was really slow and it was really deliberate in its movement. And so now we have Voltron. Uh, Voltron is much more high tech. You can do a lot more, but you know again keeping that kind of sense of scale. It's uh, it's probably one of the hardest things to do in animation, and it's something that we really kind of try to police as much as we can. You know, sometimes our, our hands are tied, sometimes animation comes back, and it's just not quite as nice as we like it to be, but you got to live with it. Yeah, right. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of the thing about working in TV is you don't have the luxury of dwelling on any one shot for too long. You have to keep the machine moving. Um, so, you know, not everything's perfect, but you try to police on the whole. Well, what's so interesting, and this seemed to be the case, as someone who sat through the credits on all of uh, Airbender and Korra and all these uh, directed DVD DC movies, the, the staffs and the, and the creative process seem so fluid. Even here on Voltron, you have multiple directors working on this first uh, hour-long pilot. Uh, Tim Hedrick from Korra, he's writing and leading the room, I guess. Um, but And even on Korra, I was like... You know, Joaquin, you were directing the first season and then maybe slipped into a producer role. And then, Lauren, you came on board. Like, how, do, how does that fluidity work and, and maybe apply it to Voltron a bit? Like, who is doing what and how, how do you get it all done? I mean, we both Lauren and I come from storyboarding backgrounds. That's where we got our start. So I think it's for us, you know, just speaking for the two of us, it's, it's a really good place to start because you have a connection the story, you're telling it visually, you're adapting a script, you're figuring out pacing, uh, but you're also oftentimes working without character models or, or you know, uh, background design, so you're making that up on the fly. So it's, it's a good melting pot, it's a good place to start from, uh, and, it, and it helps us really move around to a lot of positions and oversee a lot of positions. Beyond that, it's, it's about just working with people that you absolutely wholeheartedly trust their skills and you know in a pinch they can kind of fill in for a bunch of different things that, that need filling. You know, it's a it's a big collaboration, but I, I have yeah. to ask that I, I, I want I want to know if if you fought for one thing that you needed to see in this show, if there's if your stamp is each of you, if there's something in there that you, you had to see and you were gonna fight to the end to get it in there. Yeah, I don't I don't think we want to give away any spoilers. I don't know if we can really yeah. say exactly what or, but there are definitely things that we fought for. Uh, one thing I can talk about, I think, is is Voltron's colors. There was, at one point in time, uh, a suggestion to make him less colorful, to make him more gray because of the fear, I think, of of it being too similar to Power Rangers. Hmm. But he loved the original Voltron, and we didn't want to have just a big gray robot. We wanted to have those lines and those colors and the corresponding pilots. So, uh, so that was something that we kind of stood strong for. Um, also, some of the simplicity in the design, there was a lot of attempts to uh, really kind of tiggy-tacky up some of the uh, the, the Paladin's outfits, the pilot suits. If you re- remember the original show, you know, it, it was just white spandex. It was very simple. Um, and now we've, we've added a little more to that. But, that, like, we, for our opinions, like, it's, that's as far as we were willing to go. Yeah. But there was a lot of push to, like, add more stuff, put more things. Like, I think a lot of people wanted to kind of see it go more into that halo 
area, and that was just not something we were comfortable with because it just wasn't the aesthetic style that we were going for. We didn't feel like it was true to the original show. Yeah, I mean, for me, that's that's definitely it. I'm, you know, I'm first to admit that one of my favorite films of all time is Aliens, James Cameron's Aliens, uh, and that has influenced the video game design and film design uh, for everything sort of paramilitary moving forward. Um, and I think, you know, that sort of halo effect or sort of Gears of War effect is something that took hold on an executive level pretty early on in development. And so we just had to fight those fights and, and say, you know what, Voltron isn't about chainsaws on things and isn't about, you know, getting stuff across in a really gritty way. It's about these colorful aspects and these characters that can absolutely have drama and dramatic elements, but still need to feel fun. Yeah, the characters uh, remind me, they're very vivid as well. And I'm curious about maybe the character that surprised you the most kind of developing this show and uh, who, who you didn't expect to maybe be a favorite or to have a crazy moment. And I mean, I think the character that probably that, you know, is most divergent from the original series is Koran. And, and that's, you know, due large in part to, to Reese Darby being the, the, the former for his character. Um, he has a, you know, a much bigger role in this series than, than Karan did in, in the, uh, in the original. But I, you know, I think for us, it was about making sure that all the characters played and had more depth than the original. You know, we each have our favorites, but, uh, it, it was about, I think, getting the team across in a, in a much bigger and, and deeper sense than, than they were in the original. Uh, I have, have one more question, uh, or two quickies. Uh, one would be, What's what's the future of Voltron? I, I'm I'm not exactly sure. Is this a one season commitment? Are you are you prepping more right now? What's the what's the future look like? Uh, I mean, we're so focused on this season right now, but we're always 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 thinking about more stuff, and we definitely have stuff planned. Okay, great. And and really quickly, I just wanted to. I, I recently watched the last episode of Korra again, and which is such a beautiful. Uh, it's a work of art. Um, and I'm curious about. I haven't heard you two maybe speak about it. I'm just curious about the end of Korra, those last moments, uh, getting all of that material into the show and kind of wrapping it up on that note. Just hear you reflect on it for two seconds. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I mean, I think it was, you know, I hope, you know, it can be looked on, you know, it was, it was controversial to some, but for us, it was a, it was a fantastic moment. And I think it can be looked on and, you know, as, as history goes on as, as, as a, uh, as a first step in, 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 in moving things forward, moving the conversation forward and, and making, uh, you know, We're making the world a more accepting place. Except, yeah, accepting it's place. representing more of, of the people that are out there. Uh, you know, we know now that, uh, the shows we watch in our youth is not an accurate representation of what's in this world. Right. Uh, so it's just, it's time to kind of move forward. And and be more accepting. People are people. It takes all types. So let's just embrace it. Yeah. Do you see Voltron being able to take that? We can both say we were very proud to, to have been a part of that show. Do you see Voltron being able to take that same kind of leap? Uh, I, I think so. I mean, you know, we obviously, we have this first 13 episodes. But if we're able to take it beyond that, you know, I think, you know, we, we both like to kind of push the envelope a little bit and just uh See what we can do because I think the world is a different place, and we just want to we just want to kind of represent more people. And I think we both like to believe that the future that you know the paladin the future Earth that the paladins inhabit like these aren't even issues that come up. Right. 
everybody is accepted for who they are. And that was my conversation with Joaquin Dos Santos and Lauren Montgomery for uh, Voltron, Legendary Defender. It's going to hit Netflix, all 13 episodes for the first season on June 10th. And I'm excited. I mean, listening to them talk about it, uh, I can tell you that the action is every bit as exciting as they mention. And the scope is is what you need out of an animated show that promises giant robots and intergalactic plots. Um, and it's and it's pretty fun stuff. Uh, and I hope that you dig it. And I hope you dig this conversation. Uh, it's really fun to get to be on this feed again, talking to people who love Korra and who love animation and who love listening and talking about art. Uh, that is a absolute pleasure. And I would say, you know, the best part of Republic City Dispatch uh, has happened in the last year, which was people finding Legend of Korra and then tuning into this show after the fact and saying that it was really fun to watch and listen along. Uh, that is touching. So, you know, Game of Thrones is going to end soon, and people don't realize that there was a show waiting for them to discover called Legend of Korra that would definitely fill their void. So recommend it. It can be difficult to get our friends and family watching cartoons, quote-unquote. Um, sit them down, make them watch Korra, and then sign them up for Republic City Dispatch. A great show. I think. What I don't know. What do I know? I'm Matt Patches, and on behalf of everyone at Republic City Dispatch, thank you for always listening. Uh, let us know what you think of Voltron, and follow us on Twitter at RC Dispatch. I'm at Mr. Patches. We'll be talking to you maybe soon. Who knows? And now I have to leave you with this bit of music. Music.